Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our podcast for the Cathedral of Notre Dame. Uh, they had that awful, awful fire this week, and we're so happy that a lot of the relics have been saved, and the rose windows are good, and it's just going to take a long time to finish. It's a true blessing. I just heard, um, and hello everybody, um, apologies for the delay. I, as I wrote in the chat room, uh, this was on me. I was uh, tending to a, a sick family member who had a procedure today and it went longer than anticipated, but thankfully she's okay. Um, literally just got her back from uh, post-op <laughs> and ran up to my bedroom so I could do the podcast. So um so thankful. Uh, thank you. And uh, prayers are appreciated. Uh, she had some kidney stones that were truly um, painful and uh, were not moving. So they had to, um, they had to take care of that. So um, had to have this podcast, ladies. Um, I was, I work at home, as many of you know, and um I often will have the news on in the background and I was watching CNN when the news broke and it was absolutely devastating and horrific to see the fire unfurl um, live um, in, in, in real time. So very, very thankful um, that no one was killed and that they were able to save the relics and that there is compassion in the world to, to come together and uh, move forward. But we had to do this because Man in the Black Suit, I mean, this book is is set in the the City of Light. And Acacia is one of her favorite places is Notre Dame. So we thought it was we thought it was fitting. So we start we thought we'd start out with a little bit of the history of the cathedral. Um, talk about the relics that uh, we know that were saved about the organ and the bells and yes. uh, also the cultural influences that Notre Dame has had in literature and film and what have you. So we will start um, with the history. Uh, the cathedral was actually built on the site of two churches and an ancient temple to Jupiter. Uh, the foundation stone was laid by uh, Pope Alexander III and construction bang began bang, geez, at 1163 AD. And the uh, starting start of the construction was overseen by Maurice de Soleil, and he was the Bishop of Paris at the time. The construction for quote-unquote completed was in 1345. So you can see it took uh, quite a long time, a couple centuries for it to, uh, you know, to, to be finished and built in. Uh, some interesting facts. Henry VII was... Uh, he was Henry the Seventh of England was coronated as the King of France there in 1431. Uh, many of the kings of France would the treasures that would come in would 
take those treasures out of the cathedral. And if they were gold or something, they would melt the gold down and use that to fund any wars that could be happening at the time. Um, King Louis the Ninth, who was also known as King Saint Louis, uh, he brought the count of the crown of thorns into the temple, uh, and I'll go into a little bit of his background on that in the relics. Uh, the church has always been a major part of the French culture, but before 1789, the, revolu the revolution, the church wielded an extraordinary power of France because the it was France was a Catholic country, so everything surrounded the church. Uh, the um, church also in vast, vast amounts of property, and when the mon the church would heavily tithe people. I know that some churches will tithe percentages to people even today, uh, whether it be Catholic or, or Protestant denomination or some others, uh, mm -hmm. to you know keep their churches afloat. Um, in the, in France at the time before the revolution. The church was heavily tithing the people of France, even before uh, the king, the crown taxes would be would come in. Um, they, and so as the monarchy fell apart during the revolution, there was a faction of the uh, the group the, of the revolutionaries that went in, and they they were trying to not dismantle the cathedral, but just it didn't really mean that much to them. And through the foresight of Napoleon Bonaparte, he took some of the major treasures, like the crown of thorns, and the, I believe that was the piece of wood from the cross of Jesus, as well as one of the nails. He took them and, and, and put them in with the quote-unquote archdiocese of Paris at the time. So this way, they could be saved. Uh, they couldn't be used to fund any wars, and they couldn't be sold off to uh, by the libertines. Um, the 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 thing that the, in Paris, a lot of the priests that did not um, conform to what the revolutionaries wanted, uh, and and you know, say that that you know that they would give them their uh, liberty and, and follow them and not the Pope, uh, a lot of them were massacred at the time. Uh, it was, uh, they, they started during the September of 1792, and a lot were put on trial, and it was known as the Reign of Terror. And in 1793, uh, the new government announced that public worship would be illegal. Uh, people, so people, as I said, people were rushing to the churches to get to, to grab things, and uh, that's why the Napoleon and his smarts decided to move everything over to the Archbishop of Paris. Um, they were they just they were doing uh, restorations now in in the cathedral for Bonaparte, so that in 1804 he could be uh, crowned emperor. Of France. Exactly. Makes a lot of sense. Well, Napoleon <laughs> likes that grandeur, right? I mean, and then afterwards, going into uh, the 1800s, 
is when Victor Hugo wrote the story of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And we're going to mention a little bit of this now, but we're going to get into it a little bit and a little later as well, because obviously that's so intrinsically linked to this um, historic structure. Evoking the history during the reign of Louis XI, um, the book condemns a society in the figures of the archdeacon and soldier. It heaps misery on the hunchback and the gypsy girl. And Hugo wrote the story to remind the reader of the cathedral. Um, the cathedral was a very central part of his existence. And he wanted to point out how neglected and decrepit it had become. And his work helped spur the overhauls that were started in 1844 by architects Jean-Baptiste Antoine Lasre and Eugène Emmanuel Voila de Luc. And please forgive my French pronunciation. I took Spanish in school and Greek as well. I do not have a good Spanish, French accent. Um, so going into eight, 1909, Pope Pius X beatified Joan of Arc in the cathedral, which is another historic uh, happening there. Uh, and I know many of you know the story of Joan of Arc. Um, Joan uh, was a young girl of France who claimed to have visions of Michael the Archangel, um, St. Margaret, and St. Catherine of Alexandra, instructing her to support France from the English domination during the Hundred Years' War. Charles VII sent her to Orleans as part of relief army, and Joan gained prominence after the siege was lifted and she was sent on other missions. In 1430, she was captured by a group of French nobles allied with the English. She was put on trial by a pro-English bishop and found guilty of various charges and famously was burned at the stake in May 30th of 1431. In 1456, at an inquisitorial inquisition authorized by Pope Calicius III, the charges were debunked and she was then considered a martyr. In the 16th century, she became the symbol of the Catholic League, and in 1803, she was declared a national symbol of France. So, again, a very intrinsic part of the French history um, was, was done. And I thank you, uh, Argyle Dahl, saying I spoke French better than she could. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for your kind words there. Um, Betty also said she recently watched the animated film and was in awe. The cathedral looks so beautiful, even animated. And I believe she's referring to the Hunchback of Notre Dame. I know we have a lot of comments going on, ladies, so I'm trying to keep some of them in um, as we also share uh, with uh, you some of the history and uh, cultural impact that we've uncovered during our research for this podcast. Um, so it's, it's really, um, it's just an amazing 800 years of history. Um, the cathedral uh, was damaged during the world wars, World War I and World War II. Um, and I have to say, Pam, when I was watching the coverage, that is something that was very um, prominent in my mind, you know, thinking this is a structure that has survived wars um, there and fires and there has been destruction before and we can rebuild, you know, we can rebuild. Um, 
But I really thought about World War II in the context of that destruction as we were watching it. Um, and during that time, there were number a number of blitz raids um, in World War I and on Paris before the surrender of the Germans that actually damaged the cathedral slightly. During the Second World War, many things were removed from the cathedral for safekeeping, much like the artwork from the Louvre during the German occupation. So, and again, we saw that um, just days ago where, where things were rescued um, in the midst of the horrific uh, flames that were overtaking the building. I read an article During, this morning. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Oh. oh, no, no, that's good. They took, I think it was, um, they had 36 minutes to get everything they could get out, uh, whether it be the relics, um, Saint, the, the, the tunic of uh, King St. Louis, um, you know, and, and just books and chandeliers and they had a whole process you know like passing everything down the line and it was a combination of the fire department and the police department um there was the one there was one priest who when the alarm started going off that ran down to where the treasury is and and was able to get those relics out so i think that's you know really really amazing and it's a tribute to it's really a tribute to uh you know the the power of and and the belief and the piety of the people who uh were there daily um and even if you're not a religious person uh the the, the place that this holds in history is quite strong uh, you know, during the war, uh, they took out every piece of stained glass from the rose windows, numbered them and hid them under the sun, which I had no idea about that. I yeah, think I that's either. phenomenal. Yeah. The fact that they were able to have those glasses in safekeeping and, and think about that because just the aftershocks, even if the building wasn't struck directly, the aftershocks um, of bombing, that glass would have shattered had they not... Um, had they not taken the glass out of the window. I think that's stunning. Yeah. After the war, they dug the stained glass and put them back together piece by piece. Can you imagine that? Um, when Hitler realized... <laughs> oh my gosh, absolutely. When Hitler realized the war was over, he wanted all monuments and landmarks bombed and destroyed in Paris, including the cathedral, and the departing German army could not do it. Um... So and, and as Pam said, thank God for the Rockefellers, because the Rockefeller family were the main contributors to the restoration of after the war. Um, but I do remember reading. I do know Hitler had that desire to kind of have the entire scorched, scorched earth policy. They, he wanted to flatten everything. And thank goodness. Thank goodness. Those soldiers said no. Um so at this point, I mean, we just talked a lot about the history, and I'm seeing that, um, yeah, a lot of people, Betty said, with so many relics in the cathedral, um, I don't know if I could figure out what to say first. Argyle said, Dahl said, God bless that priest. Um, Lori said, I did not know that. It's amazing. And Argyle Dahl said, I never would have imagined they took the glass out. Very interesting. I agree. In fact, I can't wait to share that story with my husband because 
he um, was a big fan of um, he loves history and I don't think he's ever come across that tale. So I think that's good. Kenzie said she was surprised that the windows were still there. Thank God for those firefighters and their hard work in protecting everything they possibly could. Agreed, Kenzie. Agreed. And at this point, oh, go ahead, Pam. I was talking to my neighbor, Phil, um, before the podcast today, because I'd taken him out. And we were discussing um, the the cathedral. And he Mm -hmm. told me that he actually went into the cathedral about, um, I think, six months after the war was declared over, because he was in Paris at that time. And they, he... He said there were no windows in, in there at that point. Uh, and it, it was wow. difficult to get around Paris, period. Uh, he wow. also said that uh, he had gone into the Louvre. And when he went in, he had one of his, the people he knew from the army, got him into secretly. And they, he was in places that people don't even go. He says, you know, there were doorways that would, that you don't know that are there, and all of a sudden they were open, and there's stairs to go all over the place. So I mean, just the magnitude of everything that had to be between the the artwork in the Louvre and everything in the cathedral that had to be taken around. Oh my gosh, what a story! I mean, I can't even imagine. I know that's phenomenal. Yeah. That is phenomenal. So, we've come to relics. Um, yes. The crown of thorns uh, it was actually brought by Louis the Ninth or King uh, St. Louis. And it, it is supposed to have been the crown that was worn by Jesus at the time of the crucifixion. It was originally, it had passed through many hands um, from the time when Christ died and finally found its way into Byzantium. Uh, in 1238, uh, Baldwin II needed money to support his tottering empire. He was a, a ruler in the Byzantine Empire. And so he offered Louis the crown. And it was first housed at the Saint-Chapelle and stayed there until the French Revolution. And that's, again, that's when it went off to uh, the parish or the uh, archdiocese um, and it was also after that it was housed in the Bibliothèque Nationale uh, the Concordat of 1801 brought it back to the church which is where it was deposited at the cathedral um, that again it was thankfully saved from the fire now I know when I went to Paris I did not see it but it on the was always shown on the first Friday of the month at 3 p.m. for adoration, and then again all day and all night on Good Friday, also for adoration. Uh, it, you know, so I mean, just the magnitude of that between the cross and the piece of wood from the cross and the nail uh, from the cross. Uh, mm. it, you know, just in in, in the Catholic Church or or Christian hierarchy, that is that is an amazing thing to have. Um, I know that uh, in in research, some of the thorns had been broken off and been passed to different people 
one. I don't know whatever what happened with them, but for the, but that's where the crown uh, has kind of gone from. It's pretty stunning. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I and I I just I remember seeing that and hoping. I kept thinking, please tell me they were able to get some of these relics out, um, because it's it's really. Um, it's really beyond the pale, you know, uh, to be able to do that. Um, and, and the fact that they were able to, I just, you know, again, shows to the spirit of the people and the caretakers of that, uh, sacred space. Um, I thought at this point we could share a couple thoughts from the readers. Um, KK actually was the first to send off something, um, so Karen, uh, thanks for sending this. And she said, she, she studied Notre Dame in my art class in high school in 1985. And as an architect and art history major in college during, uh, 1986-87, it was on her bucket list. She has a book and postcard and pictures she treasured from her sister Judy's trip to Paris. And she also has a very special medal and ornament um, so again, beautiful remembrances from some of our readers and KK, thanks for sharing that. Honestly, Karen, we, we literally posted that. And I think within like five seconds you had responded. So thanks for, uh, being an early participant in the, uh, in the podcast creation and content. I really appreciated it. Um, it's, it's, it's really great. And, and Lori, um, also sent, and I see Lori's on. Hi, Lori. Hope things are well in Texas. Um, she sent us thoughts for the podcast, saying it's a true tragedy, more than a fire. I think it was Pam that said it reminded her of 9-11. It did me also. It made me so emotional. This beautiful place of worship, faith, prayer, love, and community. It's encouraging and miraculous that no one was killed and that the cathedral was saved. So happy that it will be, re, be rebuilt and live on. And I agree, Lori um, and Pam, and, and maybe some of you as you were watching or when you saw the clips, uh, podcast, podcast listeners, um, for me, it really, that 9-11, it just reminded me of that. And it's, I think it's just because it was that that tragedy and the smoke and the plumes and the, it's really when the uh, spiral, fell. spiral fell. I just, it just, it, it, it literally just took the breath out of me. I, I just couldn't believe it. And it was, it's horrific. And I can't even imagine, I, you know, I, I was worried that it actually was going to trigger some really unpleasant memories for uh, many of you. I'm thinking Pam and I'm thinking Betty, um, who were there in the city or near the city during uh, 9-11. So um, two really good thoughts. We're, we're going to uh, share the thoughts throughout the podcast. So we have a couple more coming up after we our next uh, point of conversation, um, which I think now, Pam, do you want to go into the, the windows? Yes. There were three of them. Um, the most, I think the most well-known one is the south window. And uh, it 
was it was called the Rose Midi, uh, and was offered by King St. Louis. They were designed by Jean de Chalet and Pierre de Montreal. The first architect of the uh, cathedral was Jean de Chalet and had the first stone of the south transept walled in 1258. And that's when they started putting the, getting the window together. Uh, it is the centerpiece of that particular transit and the rosette is dedicated all to the New Testament. And it, the way it's designed, there are it's circular. You've got the, the middle part, portion of glass and then the story would continuously go goes around in a circle as it comes out. Um, mm. The in one of the uh, it, it has suffered many times through the years with settlement of the masonry, so they've had to reset it. Uh, there was a fire during the Revolution of 1830, uh, wow. which could have done a lot of stuff to it as well. And then mm -hmm. during the reservation in the 1860s. They had to do some some uh, alignments with it because this, the walls were beginning to slump, and there was a big. That's one of the reasons why Hugo wrote *The Hunchback of Notre Dame* because right to bring interest back into it. But um, they said that the window was given a 15-degree rotate to align the vertical and the horizontal axis with the way the walls were bowing, because remember. In that time, there was no mortar. It was all brick on, or stone on stone. And they didn't, there was nothing that would, like concrete that would, you could fill in with, like you do with brick or even special stone work today. Um, the, uh, the master glassmaker was Alfred Gerante and, and re restored the windows uh, to their original 13th century design and reconstructed the, the medallions. Uh, so there's some missing of the authenticity of it and it is intact today, thankfully. One of the things my neighbor Phil mentioned to me today was he had spoken to his, one of his friends, Carlos, who also an artist but he does a lot with stained glass as well as paint and whatever and those there when when you create stained glass you're basically putting it together with molten lead and as a solder and when with the fire as with the intensity of the roof which came from a far a huge forest in the 11th century or 12th century, um, you know, it, it could it could legitimately melt that metal. So, oh my gosh! They were definitely very lucky to be able to keep those stone windows the way it did. Um, and this is according to the the cathedral's website. The rose of the south symbols symbolizes, therefore, the triumph of Christ sitting in heaven surrounded by all those who have been witness to him on the earth, which is all the uh, apostles are all around there. So one thing too that I, I forgot to put in here, um, on where they were doing, where the spiral was, where they were doing the reconstruction or the whatever, mm -hmm. there were, 
I think, 14 statues that went around it. And they were the 12 apostles, and I forget who the other two were off the top of my head. But they had just brought them down last week. So they could be, they, they were not destroyed in the fire either. It's, it's stunning. Yeah. Well, we actually, um, you know, when we were developing the podcast, we did reach out to SR. And one of the things we had asked him was if there was any special remembrances of the cathedral or any specific pieces of art that we, you would like to mention that was housed there, and he specifically cited uh, the windows. Um, as he said, the rose windows um, are my favorite. And he actually um, shared a link that I'm going to patch in um, right now, into the, so you can take a look at what he was he wanted to share with you. Um, he said Notre Dame is a really interesting cathedral. The architecture is old and the windows are very beautiful. There's a lot of detail in the carvings on the exterior. It's one of his favorite landmarks in Paris. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to post that right now so you guys can see um, what SR wanted you to see. Well, you know, that's that's what the beauty of this cathedral is. You, you go out and when you first face the front of it, you've got the two tall uh, towers and doors in front and you go in and the back of the cathedral is very dark uh, as most gothic cathedrals are but it's very dark and as you walk closer and closer into it the windows pick up the light and and you're gradually coming into the light and to me that was very symbolic of mm -hmm. um faith you know you go in through the darkness and, and you you open up to the light and to the joys of what, you know, is around us. So that to me was very symbolic. And when people would ask me, my, like my son or my sister, who's, who've never been there, ask me about it, I said, that's one of the things that was so such beauty of it, because you could go in and you could sit down and you've got this, all this beautiful colored light coming in at you. And you can, you know, you can just meditate the peacefulness. It was just, it was just a magnificent place. And, mm. you know, the, the fun part for me was um, when they, when I got there, they were starting, uh, I think it was 12 o'clock mass because they had masses there uh, during the week. I think they had a couple in the morning. They had one at 12 and they had one later in the afternoon which was normal, the normally the Archbishop of uh, Paris gave. I was there from mm -hmm. 12 o'clock. And they, in, in fact, you can see it in some of the pictures where, where the spiral fell down, fell down on that particular altar. And it was, um, you, you'd sit in the seat and they've got these little ropes and signs, you know, silence, mass progress or whatever. And you're not allowed to take any pictures. And I just remember this older woman running around and all, you know, whether you were there for the mass or just being a tourist, she was running around to the cameras and not saying, you know, put it down, put it down. She's, you know, with her hands because not everybody speaks French. 
and uh, so that it was just I did sneak a picture I am a bad girl I did sneak a picture <laughs> and I have posted it on the on our on our Twitter feed but um, mm. yeah so it was you know it's just a, an incredible place and, and it's huge you walk through these on the sides those corridors that have all kinds of statuary and, and paintings and fabric and, you know tapestries along the walls and there are statues of uh, St. Teresa the Little Flower and a big statue of Joan of Arc and you know other St. Denis who was one of the patron saints of, of Paris and they mm. had little rooms that went off smaller chapels um, I saw a small chapel, I remember a small chapel of St. Jerome Jerome is a, uh, a family name from my grandparents, my grandmother's son. Aww. So I wanted to, you know, just to see what was going on there. And uh, different different areas, you know, like different time periods of France. Uh, they had a chapel to the World War One vets, to the resistance workers from World War II. Um, you know, and... It, some of them were bigger than others, but, you know, I mean, they're all spread throughout these little alcoves. There's one little alcove, it took you into uh, where the tunic was of uh, King Louis. And, you know, this, the, uh, I forget what they're called, but they're these huge gold um, statuettes that hold, uh, like, the, the Eucharist, uh, so you could do adoration. Mm -hmm. Um, or uh, they also had, uh, you know, relics in them. There was a, there was a, I think it was an arm bone of, might have been Saint Dennis. I'm not sure, but it, you know, I mean, it, and they're all in this this room, and you can see all the old uh, prayer books, uh, basically the catechisms of the church from ancient times. I mean, the kind of books that Deb Harkness would go in with gloves to open up to look at because they were that ancient um yeah just and and then at the toward the back of the church where the main altar was uh if you remember pre um uh vatican ii which i'm probably the only one that remembers that right now uh, <laughs> with the, the i've heard of i've i've read about it <laughs> you've read about it <laughs> Um, they, uh, the altars, the priests used to stand with their back to the congregation, mm -hmm. and the, the the huge marble altar was set that way. They, after Vatican II, they brought it a little bit more forward towards the center of the church, so that now the um, the priest would face the congregation. The mm -hmm. black and white marble <clears throat> floors were tremendous, and you know it was just. Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely well, I, beautiful. I, I know um, KK in the chat room said she was sitting in the cathedral at rehearsal for her chrism mass. And she looked up at the rafters to her rose windows and other stained glass. And she just couldn't imagine losing it. Kenzie noted that the glass windows were so intricate. Each panel had a different plate piece of art, a story caught, crafted into it. Argyle Dahl was happy SR shared the link with them, with all of us. Um, she says, I know he was really relieved the rose windows were saved. 
Uh, Betty said it made her wish we could get to see the windows up close to really see all the details. Uh, Kenzie noted she's sad she never got the chance to see it in all of its glory before this, but she hopes it will be the same once they rebuild, even though it won't be the original. Um, and she also, also took a picture of Pam when she was in Quebec. Yes, <laughs> yes um, Saint Anne du Beaupre, mm -hmm. at the, uh, the shrine of Saint Anne, and which is a beautiful place as well. I've been there um, a couple of times with my sister and brother-in-law. Oh wait, actually, I misread. Kenzie actually said, I, I think she said, I did that to a woman in Quebec. She was on a tour taking photos of the art with her flash on, a big no-no. So yes. I think Kenzie, Kenzie kind of clued her into the fact that. Flash uh, photography is not your friend if you're a a great piece of artwork. Um, the, only, the only museum <laughs> that I know where you cannot take a photo is the Barnes Foundation in Philadelphia. Dr. Barnes was very strict about that. Oh, yes. He, he did not want any of the artwork photographed, and he has mm. beautiful artwork in this building. Um but yeah, I mean, even in the Louvre, you, you had no problem, or the Uffizi, you could take pictures, just no flash. Mm. Well, and Karen just mentioned something so beautiful, um, which I'm sure those who worshipped at Notre Dame also experienced. She said, in her cathedral, you experienced the streaming of colors of light dancing on the walls during Mass, mm -hmm. or just sitting in the empty space. And, you know... It, Kenzie noted she wished she could photograph it, and Lori said how special that is. Um, so it's it's definitely um, special. Yeah, and I, you, I, you know, they just don't want you taking pictures during mass, basically. Right. Right. Any other time's okay. Right. I even walked up on the altar <laughs> after the mass. <laughs> I am so. Bad. You are bad, Pam. No, you're not. Not at all. Um, shall we head on to, do we want to cover the organs and bells sure. or should we sure. skip over to the cathedral and the arts? We can do the organ and the bells. The, uh, the great organ has evolved yes. over time. Absolutely. It was, it was smaller, obviously, in the beginning. And then in the late 1300s to early 1400s. In the 1450s, Amand Graben author of The True Passion, wrote the, that the organ enlarged from century to century to century. And uh, it was restored and reconstructed many times. Uh, the size that it is now uh, it comes from the 18th century. Uh, it survived the revolution, mostly due to the patriotic music that was played. Uh, I think the Marseillaise was uh, written around that time. And uh, it was the organist, uh, Bob Astari, that did that, who, who wrote that, a lot of the music. In 1868, an organ builder by the name of Aristide Cavell Call uh, said it finds its way into symphonic sounds with 86 games. Now, I really don't know anything about organs, so. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what a game is. I don't know whether that's the pipes or what have you. Um, then, but there were five keyboards and the pedal, pedals. Uh, and if you've ever seen a big church organ, there's pedals all over the place. There's tiers of them for your feet. Most most organists will play in in like sock feet, or they'll wear like ballet slippers to mm -hmm. to uh, 
get to move those petals. Um, then uh, it was, let's see, in 1992, it went under a complete restoration to bring back the symphonic sounds while preserving the strata of the 17th and the 18th centuries. Uh, they rarely play it anymore. It's only heard on Sunday services and on Saturday evenings. Uh, the, the bells, the, originally there were 10 bells. Um, at this, at this day and age, there were five. The largest bell, the Emmanuel, is a Bourdon bell. It's in the North Tower. It weighs 13 mm -hmm. tons. And that's one of the major things they were worried about were these um, bells. And right. The, you know, the towers and everything. And I also read in this article today where they had, while the fire's coming down on everybody, there were groups of firemen who went into the towers to help cool them Protect down. that. Yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, the, yeah, they, I believe they were saved, if I recall. I the bells were. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mm -hmm. don't know what the status of the organ is. I don't think I know. I, I'm actually scanning a story that was posted on CBS News 10 minutes ago, and I'm trying to see if if they note what the status of the organ was. I feel like I heard that the organ was not saved, but I'm, I'm looking. Anyone out in podcast land know the answer to that? We'll see. Kenzie wants to know how they got in. Well, you, there are tours of the towers that you could take if your knees so are good. <laughs> but <laughs> I think there's like 500 steps into each tower that bring you to the bells. Um, the other bells are in the South Tower. The other four bells there are different sizes. They're not as big as this, the, this big one. Um, the Emmanuel Bell was rung um, on a few historic occasions, the coronation of kings, funerals for French heads of state, whenever the Pope visits, um, and it also marked the end of World War One and World War Two. And they also uh, rang the bells after September 11th. In Which is pretty stunning. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's it's uh, you know I'm I'm really happy that they were saved. Um, I think most I, I'm looking in the in the chat room and I don't think uh, anyone is certain about the uh, status of the organ. Um, but if we find out, we'll let you guys know. Um, you know, we we kind of wanted to. Um, share a little bit. Um, I mean, at this time, I wanted to share one another remembrance from our beloved Bay, MJ, uh, who could not join the podcast, but she made a note um, saying, since I won't be able to join the podcast, um, the message I'd like to share um is that um, there's a, there were a few. Sometimes things need to burn down in order to be renewed. And that's what the glowing cross that she saw was telling her. There's so much to reflect. How many times have our lives gone into flames? The artwork saved are those character traits that make us renew ourselves as the Phoenix, La Courage. 
determination, kindness, compassion, and empathy. Unlike it, we, unlike it will be rebuilt, we can also rebuild. Um, hashtag hope. So, you know, I, I do like the fact that this is, it is very much like the Phoenix. It is very much like, like the order of things as nature has it. You know, you have these seasons of destruction and then you have seasons of rebirth. It, it actually is kind of analogous to uh, the Christian uh, time of year where we currently are sitting. I mean, we are days away from uh, Easter for um, Christians, and we're in the midst of Holy Week. And, you know, there, there is this, this symbol of rebirth that happens in the, um, the Christian faith. And I do believe there are other symbols of rebirth in various different religions. But I, I think that was an interesting point for MJ to raise. And, and uh, you know, you know we've, we've talked a bit about the history. We've talked about some of the, the great artwork and the, the bells and the, the organ. And I know now we wanted to talk a little bit more about the arts. Um, I know we're hitting about by the, by almost the way, six. By the yes. Lori mentioned that she Googled it and she said it says that the organ was saved. Oh, wonderful. That's great news. Thanks, Lori. That's not, tremendous. Well, according to Karen, but the organ was saved. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm, I'm really happy to hear about that because organs are significantly, um, expensive and such a great uh, piece of uh, worship. Um, so it's it's really good. Um, as we talk about the Cathedral and the Arts, we mentioned Victor Hugo's book, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the story of the gypsy girl Esmeralda, and the misshapen bell ringer Quasimodo taking place during the Renaissance. I wonder if William knew uh, Esmeralda and <laughs> um, Quasimodo was raised by the Archdeacon, Claude Froyo. Quasimodo's crowned Pope of Fools, the day of the Festival of the Fools, and Esmeralda, a beautiful 16-year-old girl with a kind and gentle heart, um, really caught the attention of many men, especially Frollo. Who's, I was never sure how to pronounce his name, who's torn between his lust and the rules of the church, and he orders Quasimodo um, to get Esmeralda, and when he is caught, he's tied up, and he is whipped in the whole heat of the, of the day. And Esmeralda sees his thirst and brings him water. She is that kind soul. She's very much like, um, you know, a lot of, you know, these recurring themes that we have um, with SR, you know, she reminds me a little of Julia or a little bit of Raven and her kindness, um, trying to help someone who is, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in need. Um, and it saves her because she ha captures the heart of Quasimodo. Um and, you know, it's, it's just, it's a very compelling story. It's been recreated many, many times. Um, 
And as we mentioned earlier, it was a statement um, and really a case to preserve the cathedral. Um, and, you know, it, there's been several versions of it. Um, when we asked SR about any special works of literature, art, or music inspired by Notre Dame that he wanted to mention, he listed, um, or he responded saying, Victor Hugo is a favorite author of mine. Les Miserables is his best work, in my opinion. But The Hunchback of Notre Dame is extra extraordinary. In many ways, it's a very strange story, and I'm still trying to figure it out. One of these days, I'll write about it. Dot, dot, dot. So, wouldn't that be great, ladies? I just, I mean, the fact that he um, finds it interesting, I just, I love it. Well, it's got, um, it's got all SR's tips. I mean, themes, right. Redemption and mm -hmm. acceptance and love and, you know, of, of these characters. And you've got the bad bad guys, Frollo, and there, I believe there was also a soldier that was involved uh, who was murdered in the, in the story. But mm -hmm. it's, it's got all that that SR would, I, I could see him being drawn to it. I, I could too. And, and, and in fact, when I did some research, um, I'm not going to share the entire article. I'm going to put a link in here. Um, but there's an online uh, magazine called Quartz. And a um, story, uh, a piece written by Efrat Livni um, titled Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris inspired three of the world's most influential writers. Obviously, Victor Hugo is the, the, the most obvious one because of the story. Um, but he also highlighted uh, Proust, Marcel Proust, um, who is most famous for the sixth early 20th century texts that comprise In Search of Lost Time. Um, he was deeply impressed by the cathedral. Um, apparently, he was even known to have thrown a fur-lined overcoat on over his nightshirt and to have stood in front of it for two hours in order to receive fresh inspiration from the portal of St. Anne, which I think is really cool. Um, and they also noted that Sigmund Freud was um, inspired uh, by it and said, I've never seen anything so movingly serious and somber. So, um, again, I'm going to, I'm sharing a link with you to that article just um, as an FYI. You know what, in, in a current uh, cultural reference to Proust, uh, if you've ever, if anybody's ever seen the TV show, The Actors Studio. Um, oh, yes. Uh, the, um, Forget what is what's his name? Um, oh, um, with the glasses and yes, yeah. uh, James, James is the James Lipton. James Lipton. Lipton. Yes, he one of the questions he asks who whatever actor director he uh, interviews is he references Proust and what is your least favorite word, or what is your favorite word and you know. The actors come up with a lot of crazy stuff, but you know, so that's just a current cultural reference to Proust because not mm -hmm. he can be kind of heavy to read. Um, yes, that's uh, that's what everybody says. Um, uh, you know, it, it's 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 pretty stunning. Um, that 
you know, I, you know who loved Proust? I read this one time. Elizabeth Taylor apparently loved the work of Proust. And I just always thought that was interesting. Um, another random factoid coming from my brain. Um, well, but <laughs> there you go. Um, I, I did come across another article that was interesting. This was more of a more of an essay um, by a uh, woman, um, Elise Martin, called Notre Dame is Never Lost. To paraphrase Victor Hugo, the book will save the building. So it really talks about Hugo and it talks about his effort to save the building. And, you know, uh, a quote that she had was, um, that the cornerstone of many an interior world has been shaken. I cannot claim my interactions with the cathedral to be particularly unique, and I can only imagine the devastation felt by those to whom the cathedral was the center of their spiritual lives. And she goes on in the conclusion um, and said that in the preface of Hugo's work, in a characteristic mix of despair and hope that the man who wrote the word Ananke has vanished as he has the word and perhaps one day the cathedral. Um, but it is on that word, writes Hugo, that he has made the book. And there, it, it goes on to talk about a pun that he kept going through, talking about Peter uh, building this. And in French, Pierre is also the name of Pete is Peter in French, but it's also the word for stone. So it's the rock upon which the church was built. So it, it kind of is an interesting uh, treatise on it. And I thought you might enjoy that as well. So I'm going to copy that in um, uh, as well. And, you know, I think we can turn, you know, we mentioned that the book back was made into movies and there were lots of, movies inspired by Notre Dame and Pam I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about sure. that you know one of my favorite movies is American in Paris and yes it, love 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 Jane that movie Kelly, uh, mm -hmm. he's an American artist after World War II who's painting in Paris and you know the love ensues and there's also the patron who wants to become his patron, quote unquote, uh, but in, in 1951 style, it's it's rather low key. Um, but there, you know, the the cathedrals are prominent in that as uh, Gene Kelly and Leslie Caron walk along the Seine. Uh, there's also uh, Midnight in Paris with Owen Wilson and Carla Bruni who also happened to be the former first lady of, of France. She's married to Nicolas Sarkozy. Um, mm. There was Before Sunset with Ethan Hawke and Julie Dupree. I still want to see that movie. I still have never seen that movie. Mm -hmm. I need to see that. And you're right, Karen. Gene is a good <laughs> hometown boy from Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. um, Gene Kelly. I love him too. Uh, Amelie with Audrey Tattoo. Oh, that's a great movie. The Three Musketeers. I mean, I, I think in every mm. version of The Three Musketeers I've ever seen, they, uh, Notre Dame is in there as well. Uh, <laughs> we get into animation 
Rugrats in Paris. Yes. Uh, Ratatouille. The Acoustacats from Disney. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there are many films that are listed through the Rotten Tomatoes website. Uh, the Devil's Wear Prada was part of it. European Vacation. with uh, Yes. <laughs> not to take away from Christmas Vacation. Uh, right. But but they do they do they have uh, they do have Notre Dame as part of the backdrop. That's true. Um, and <laughs> Kenzie asked about Sabrina. Sabrina was basic depending upon which version you saw. Mm-hmm. There was a version with Humphrey Bogart and yes, Audrey uh, Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn. That is was, the movie which inspired me to name my daughter Sabrina. Okay. That is and the version, the old one, not the Sabrina old- the Teenage Witch. As nope. many people now think, no, <laughs> it was, it was that movie. And that, which is a great movie. And it's about this, uh, young girl who studies in cooking in France and mm-hmm. comes home, uh, and her father is a chauffeur in a wealthy estate. And, you know, she's had this major love crush on David the uh, youngest son, the playboy son of this wealthy family. And hijinks ensues because she <laughs> wants to go along with him. The newer Definitely. Version, the mm-hmm. newer version had uh, Harrison Ford and um, what, oh, the actress, what was her name? Um, oh my gosh. Um, Juliette Binoche. Yes. And same background, you know, she's gone to Paris to study and, and not to be a cook, but she's doing photography and fashion work and uh, loves Paris. And so I, I don't recall offhand whether um, any of her, any of the scenes were of, the, of Notre Dame. I know that the Eiffel Tower was in it. Oh, definitely. Um, and Paris, I mean, Paris did play a major part of that movie. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Kenzie said... Her, one of her favorites is The Dreamers, seriously one of her all-time faves. And that one I haven't seen, Kenzie. I'd like to do that um, most definitely. Betty's seen the version with Harrison Ford. I highly, I love the movie. I love the current version. I do love the Harrison Ford version, but I am a Humphrey Bogart fan. I have loved Humphrey Bogart since my teenage years. So I am partial to the movie that was made in the 50s and um, William Holden played David and he was fantastic Um, so yeah Karen I agree I love Harrison Ford as well but I love the original best they're both really really good Um, great to watch and um, yes I'm going to send you another link because I came um, on uh, Rotten Tomatoes website Rotten Tomatoes is a movie site and they posted 24 times uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral inspired filmmakers. And so I thought you'd enjoy that little clip as well. Um, and you're take right. a look. Shades <laughs> Free did spend some time in Paris. So there were scenes um, from the Louvre uh, where they were bike riding. I think it was actually the last film or last scene that was filmed in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, they went all over Paris by bike and south of France. So. Yeah. 
definitely. And I'm sure there are about a hundred. Can Can was one that. Uh, oh yeah. With uh, Shirley Jones, Frank Sinatra, or not Shirley Jones, Shirley MacLaine. Frank Shirley MacLaine. Sid Charisse, and uh, well, uh, a boatload of other actors that you know are. are Great, the man in the iron mask. Again, mm -hmm, good. So, so many. So many. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty powerful. Um, and and you know, as we were preparing, um, you know, transitioning into um, kind of one of our final topics, um, not the final final, but one of the ending topics for the podcast, because I know we're at about the hour mark, a little more. Um, I came across another article that I thought was interesting. And when we reached out to SR, I literally wrote SR the email, um, after I texted Pam, as I was watching this unfold on CNN saying, um, you know, given the fact that Paris and, and Notre Dame play a role in the man in the black suit, it really does. I mean, as one of Acacia's favorite, um, favorite landmarks. We wrote to him and said, you know, we'd like to have this special podcast about Notre Dame and kind of hit the history and architecture and uh, its influence on film and culture. Um, and, you know, when we reached out to him, uh, it was as it was burning. And he said, I'm still in shock. The footage is horrendous. And the sight of the spire collapsing, it was painful to watch. What a tragedy. And, you know, this, this had me thinking about how this building, this inanimate object, could elicit such deep emotion. And I came across an article um, called Why People Who Have Never Seen Notre Dame Cathedral Are Mourning. And, you know, the subtext was the very good reason why we grieve iconic buildings we've never seen. Um, again, I will post this link. I thought it was an interesting article, um, but at, you know I'm going to read a couple, a little bit of this, saying many of those lamenting the loss of this iconic building have some connection to it. If they're French, the sucker punch might be the loss of cultural inheritance, a small but very meaningful part of what it means to be French. If Catholic, it may be the trauma of losing an irreplaceable holy site at the start of the holiest week of the year. Um, Others around the world are remembering their own encounters with it, visiting it on trips like Pam did or school choir tour. Um, and all of this uh, elicits a sense of grief. Um, but what about the millions who never visited Notre Dame, who are nonetheless feeling the loss of centuries of work by thousands of artisans? What is it about this obliteration that affects us so profoundly? Um, and I'm reading a piece, uh, part of this was a quote from the Croatian author Slavenka Draculic. And she pondered this when considering why a photo of the desecrated 16th century old bridge in Bosnia and Herzegovina, Herzegovina affected her so much. And she said even more, in fact, than a photo of a dead woman. And she said, for her, these feelings are about our own mortality. We expect people to die. We count on our lives to end. The destruction of a monument to civilization is something else. 
the bridge, as she viewed it, in all its beauty and grace, was built to outlive us. It was an attempt to grasp eternity. Because it was the product of both individual, creative, and collective experience, it transcended our individual destiny. A dead woman is one of us, but the bridge is all of us forever. It's almost too much for us to take that something as seemingly permanent as bricks and mortar can still be raised almost to the ground. Um, this is especially troubling when it comes to Paris, a city that seems fixed and unmoving. So, you know, I thought it was just an interesting, you know, an interesting take on this. Good night, Karen. So glad you could join us. She's going to rehearsal for Easter yes. Vigil. Um, thank you for coming. And blessings um, to you for Easter. Yes, yes. I know uh, you're going to have many, many uh, a concert over the next few weeks or next few days. So, um, but, you know, coming back to thinking about, I know I, I've never been to that. I've never been to Paris, but uh, watching that building and I, you know, it just struck me how it is this collective uh, experience of humanity. This is pro you know, it's on one of the, the UN's, you know, world heritage sites. Um, so I, you know, it is as horrible as it was and how we all are kind of grieving. It's almost like when a celebrity passes, you kind of don't know the person, but you are grieving that idea that this person will no longer be with us. Um, you know, we still grieve the building. Yeah, Argyle Dahl, I agree. I thought it was very profound. Um, but on the flip side, then, it, it shows the, the strength of our human spirit that we can move on from this. And the fact that a billion dollars has already been pledged to rebuild, I think that was fascinating. And I just sent the link to this story. And, and I think, Pam, your story was pretty telling, too, about your discussion on Twitter about the billion dollars. I don't know if that's something you'd want to share or not. Um, I, as far as my friend goes that I yeah. talked about earlier today, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there was a young, a young man um, that I have known since he was, I guess, about eight. And um, he's, he, you know, he, politically he's very progressive, more social, like a lot of the young Democrats are today in, in this country. Um, and his thing was, it burned. Mm -hmm. You've collected a billion dollars. Why can't you funnel that billion dollars to the hungry, the homeless, with, with France having major uh, issues of, of lack of housing and what have you? And I responded to her um, in, you're right, we do have to look at our, uh, the less fortunate of us and help as often as we can. But without places like Notre Dame, you, you lose some of the humanity that, for yourself because you're looking at these magnificent sites and how beautiful they were and the history behind them. Uh, how you can walk into a place and just feel so tranquil, tranquil, and, and with the meditation, with meditating and contemplating life in general. 
without places like that, you don't have the altruism that can come out of the other end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, she's young. She's, she's maybe 21, I think 22. Uh, and Kenzie, nothing against you. It's an age thing, and I understand that. Um, so, you know, hopefully she took that the right way because these these things that you see that bring beauty and joy to so many people and calm and peacefulness are what helps create it, helps right. create this altruism that can come out the other end. Well, and there's, there's that collective that's the collective memory. It's a collective celebration. I mean, art is humanity. Art is a sign of our civilization. But more importantly, this is also a sanctuary. I mean, this is a place for all. Um, and I do know people have sought refuge there. And those who are homeless have gone there and been fed and have gotten clothes. So... You know, it's it's the point is well taken, but I think this is a symbol of what it is to be altruistic and helping thy neighbor. Um, and hopefully it's a good reminder to do so. Um, and seeing that seeing that, you know, Argyle Doll says, thank goodness the funds came in to help restore the cathedral a report i just read today said they believe it's going to be closed for six years they think that's their estimate right now um in terms of the rebuilding um hopefully hopefully. president macron once Mm -hmm. it opened in five years basically in time for the olympics in 2024 um Uh. I, i also read that since they really don't know the inside structure yet Mm-hmm. because it's still in a very fragile state that it could take decades to actually fix this. Absolutely. Um, you know, and if it can be opened up enough, because you don't know how much water's in, in some of the wood, you don't know uh, what kind of damage to the stone the fire may have caused, uh, and... It changes the stone. There's chemical changes that happen. So right. hopefully we can only pray. Like I, I posted a picture earlier uh, today on Facebook, I think it was, of the Rose Window. And SR responded to it, uh, basically saying that, um, I say, he said, I see the windows intact. And I said, yes, thankfully. And five years from now, hopefully we can go in and sit and contemplate with its light shining on us. And he responded, yes. I'm hopeful. Yeah. Also, I wanted to to mention that um, Kenzie has also sent along her thoughts. And Betty. And I have Betty's in front of me. You have Kenzie's. Okay, and I have Kenzie's in front of me. So do you want to read Betty's first? Sure. Okay. Um, on Monday, April 15th, I stood frozen in my stot, staring at the screen, watching at the Notre Dame Cathedral burn. Un- unable to do anything to help stop the flames from spreading any further, I cried with frustration and sadness. While listening to the TV reporters talk about the different times they were able to visit the cathedral 
and the sense of awe and peace they felt when they saw the interiors of the majestic church. I couldn't help but feel a sense of loss. Like Acacia from The Man in the Black Suit, I've never visited Our Lady in person, only admired it, its beauty through films and photographs. Knowing I would never get to see the paintings, relics, or listen to the Mass, or music was devastating. But seeing how the world came together to mourn the loss and to give their support to the people of France gave me a sense of peace. For in that moment, I realized that the world is a lot smaller than I imagined. We're all a community, and when I, I our neighbor, feel, feels pain, and we feel it too. And as the first images, images of the cathedral interior emerged, and we finally witnessed the magnitude of the damages left from the flames, an image stood up for me, the image of the cross shining, and the statue of the Virgin Mary with Jesus. They showed me that miracles are real. Despite being surrounded with falling debris, they both withstood the high temperatures and remained unharmed. In the spirit of this Holy Week, I learned that change is inevitable. Even the most majestic structures are tested by time and, and catastrophes. But the beauty will always be there, waiting to be discovered. Our Lady will rise from the ashes like a phoenix, and it will be stronger than ever and, had, and richer in history. And she thanks us and, and SR. This special podcast has given all of the members of this beautiful community an opportunity to share our feelings about the events that took place this week. The pictures and stories everyone shared definitely helped fill the empty void I had. I hope one day I will be able to visit the cathedral, admire the architecture and the relics. That's beautiful, Betty. Thank you so, so much. It yes, really it is. And Argyle Dahl said, very beautiful, Betty. Amen. And Bluebird Reading has to go. Thank you for your great words on Notre Thanks, Dame. Bluebird. See you soon. Thanks for coming and joining us. Um, and we're heading towards um, the wrap-up of the show. I wanted to share Kenzie's beautiful words as well um, because I thought they were really, really poignant. Um, and as we start to wrap up, this gives us a lot to contemplate as well. She wrote... The Notre Dame Cathedral is one of the world's greatest treasures. I've never had the honor to visit Paris, but I have admired that cathedral ever since I was a child and read The Hunchback of Notre Dame by Victor Hugo. My heart is broken from losing such a work of art. I'm so sorry to the people of Paris and France or anyone who took time to appreciate the architecture and quality of magnificence of Notre Dame. To watch it burn was one of the saddest things I've ever seen. Notre Dame is 856 years old and has survived kings, emperors, revolutions, two world wars, and the plague. So I have hope and believe it can rise from these ashes once again. I would also like to say that I think any reader of Sylvain Reynard holds a place in their heart for Paris. He has flourished that beautiful city in our minds, and for that I am eternally grateful. Notre Dame is a beacon of hope 
of beauty, history, salvation, and sanctuary. A place like this should be immortal. Beauty is fragile and should never be taken for granted. Lovely, lovely words, Kenzie. Are you sure you're only 22? Really? <laughs> An old soul. An old soul. Um, yeah, so as we get ready to end this, um, it will rise again. It will be just as beautiful as it was, if not more so. And I pray that all of you do get a chance to, to be able to visit at some point in time. It is a magnificent place, and uh, someone had asked earlier about Mass. Um, mass in any church that's so totally different than yours is, is incredible. Uh, you know, it was for everybody, it was just a daily Mass with the, the readings and everything else. But for some of us, it was... Um, you know, it just meant a little bit more because we were there. The Mass, obviously, is said in French. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, it, it's just a, a glorious feeling to be there. I've been to Mass at St. Andrew-Bropay in Quebec, which is special. And um, different churches around the country and in Ireland and, and England. And they all hold a special spot in your heart and in, in your spiritual being so I'm, I am very thankful that I had that opportunity and someday I hope to be able to do it again another thing that's interesting about what's inside that would be the, wonderful the Romans the Romans used to put a, uh, a center point in any of the cities that they went and they conquered. And the one for Paris is in the cathedral. And it's marked. And that is the center point where anything is measured by in the city of Paris. So, just a little FYI. Um, let's see. That, I did not know that people. either. I read that today. Um, she was asking if the St. Anne in Quebec is Gothic. Mm -hmm. I believe it is Gothic. It's based on a Gothic cathedral. Obviously, it's a lot newer because it's the New World. Just mm -hmm. as a point of interest, they're, they're across the street from, from St. Anne's. There's a small little chapel church, and it's got these steps that go all the way up. And inside, and the point is, is to uh, to go up the stairs on your knees, and you say a prayer at every step. And there's a church like that. I think it's Sacré-Cœur in um, Paris that's like that. So I didn't do mm -hmm. Sacré-Cœur. I have done the one in Quebec. Yeah, <laughs> that's when my knees were in. Betty, Betty says you're a but, human yeah. encyclopedia, Pam. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, my husband always used to say I was a font of useless information. So I pick things up. 
Well, I... I... <laughs> so Kenzie had seen that, but she was... And Kenzie on, said... Uh, tour, so she was <laughs> Mm -hmm. it, it's 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 an interesting little chapel. It's, it's a, a reason to go back, and it's very it's very old. Mm -hmm. And as I remember from my fifth grade history class, because we did the explorers, my explorer happened to be Jacques Cartier, who found the Saint Lawrence River mm. in Quebec. I've learned a lot somehow. I love it. I hated the teacher, but I did And that. as Lori pointed out, it's not <laughs> not useless information. <laughs> it's just stuck in my head and it comes out whenever. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> so next week, when we come back, we'll finish off Chapter 43. And with what's going on with Nicholas and Nicosia. Yes. And their after-dinner delights uh, from uh, Jules Verne. <laughs> and uh, enjoy it. And just as a uh, way of information, <coughs> excuse me, um, SR's book, uh, the I, I believe it's The Man in the Black Suit, is coming out in Czech. And it's due on, I think, May 30th. And, but the, yes. Uh, Prince is going to be out. I think. And the French versions of The Prince and the Raven are out and can be ordered. Um, December 3rd is uh, the Gabriel's Promise. So we got lots of good things to look forward to. And every time we ask SR if he's got anything we want to announce, good news is coming, is all he says. <laughs> On certain things, so you know, for like the film, and you know, and yes. sure the book cover, and whatever. So, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Thank and you. and so Kenzie just nice. said that you're the Virgil to SR's Dante. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, uh, and we all hope to hear nice. news from Passion Flicks soon. Mm-hmm. Yes, Pam is related to Virgil because they're both great guides. Uh, because we're about the same age. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. anyway. Yes, Argyle Doll says, that's our such a tease, but we love him. And Kenzie says he's the tease master. That's right. <laughs> and you know uh, any good love scene that's written performed or put on stage or screen must have that tease to make it a good scene so that's my philosophy and I'm sticking to it that's true right. so again we will see you next week and we hope you have a, a great week. And oh, God forbid, hopefully there won't be any more craziness. 
Um, I'm also going to end the program with the French National Anthem, Vive la France. <laughs>